in my hand yeah I'll probably, i've been i like the way a mac 10 looks a little better but uzis are pretty good i've been drawing a lot of characters with mac 10s lately i know. am the least mac 10 human being that there ever was which is probably what makes this hysterical yeah double mac 10s just like pointing around my goofy face making some kind of smile might look a little psychotic <laughs> I mean, most people with two Mac 10s probably look psychotic. Like, why do you need two? Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, like, after our last episode, failure to conduct a interview of me, because we played like toddlers in the sandbox, which is what we're supposed to do here. And um, we're back. Welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. My name is Jay. And Gary is in the chair today. He'll be running the show, so have at it, my man. He's here fucking cracking out his shoulders and stuff like he's getting ready to fucking box. Yeah, I just got the sand out of my crack from last one, too, so I'm feeling feeling good. (laughs) Sand's the worst. Yeah, the beach is cool. Sand in your ass isn't great. Yeah, but if you go to the beach, you have to burn your car. I never go in my own car. Or your backpack. Yeah, true. Like forever. The shoes, done. The everything done. Just you should have disposable beach wear. Yeah, and I don't wear sandals really ever. Like I've been in the beach with Timberlands on before. <laughs> I actually have a song called Sandy Timbos that I made once. Sandy Timbos. Yeah. It sounds like somebody's moniker for what <laughs> my name is Sandy Timbos. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I was in Jones Beach in New York, just thugging it, you know. <laughs> seems, seems now, this mental picture of you standing out there with those Timberlands on the beach, the look that you were given by the older generation at that moment is the same look that we're giving at some of the stuff that we're seeing now. <laughs> Because <laughs> to somebody that saw the uh, Timberlands on the beach, they were like, what the f- is this? Yeah, I got arrested that day. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. No, it was actually, it was not Jones Beach. It was the Jersey Shore. Eric you got arrested at the Jersey Shore. Yeah, I threw sand in a cop's face on accident. Well, that doesn't seem like it's arrest worthy if it was an accident. Yeah, he didn't think it was an accident. <laughs> was it an accident? Okay, yeah. so you threw sand at the cop's face and got arrested. Yeah, but and this is not about me. This is about Oh, me. yeah, wait, we're interviewing <laughs> me today, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that my later. God. All right. So, for those of you who don't know, I was a guest on the Tragedy Academy maybe a year ago. And me and Jay became really good friends. And he invited me to be his co-host at some point. And of course, I accepted. Now you're stuck with me. 
and me going off topic and saying ridiculous things often. Jay trying to keep us on the track, but he also has the same issues as I with keeping on track. So sometimes it goes like this, but we always end up back where we're supposed to be. And I've been interviewed on this show and Jay has not because that would have been weird for him to interview himself. <laughs> should do one of those half faces. Like remember back in the day where they had like the woman man that would yeah. turn back and forth. I should do that and just interview myself that way. Okay, we'll start with that. <laughs> that will be a good start. And it'll probably be better than my interview, so we'll just make I it I sincerely doubt it. You've logged more interview hours than probably most people on the planet. I've done, I believe, close to 10,000 interviews. Holy in crap. Last, like I haven't done 10,000 of anything except for like maybe wake up. I don't know. Is that 10,000 times? Probably not. Yeah, I think maybe. Yeah, I think. It's probably about that because I've done 20 or 30 in a day and average 10 a day and years and years and years of that. And then, you know, depending on what you consider an interview, we do OTFs, which is on the flies in our business where you just walk up and interview someone briefly and then sit down. So anyways, I've done a lot of them and you can find something interesting in any person is what I've discovered because sometimes people are so not <laughs> interesting. Hold on to your hats, guys. He's going to make me interesting for... <laughs> oh, no, you're not... It, your your story is very interesting to me. Yeah. You know, a lot of people never do what you did, and I'll start with that. You know, I've got to know a lot about you, but you're in corporate America, successful, suit and tie, making good cash. I like to call that golden handcuffs. You know, a lot of people mm. get stuck with I, I'm good, I'm okay, right? And that's when they don't leave. Like if shit's fucked, you'll change it. If shit's great, why change it? But a lot of people's like doing okay, doing good and then they're stuck there forever right so mm -hmm. you know from the outside looking in you were making money taking care of your people look good at a nice car why do you say i don't want that life and i'm gonna go take a risk in podcasting and something like that that you know if you didn't know if you were good at it till you started you might have sucked at this turns out you're really good at it through a lot of <laughs> hard you. work and some talent that but long question for hopefully you got some parts of that convoluted. No, I completely I understand you, where you're coming from because it's not what everybody does. Um, and I appreciate the nice things that you said during that. Yeah, no, um, I did leave the corporate world and a lot of people don't do that. Just like you said, for me, I'd explained before, you know, that I come from humble beginnings, that kind of thing and did different jobs all the way through. But yes, I did get to the corporate world and I can tell you that when you're wearing those suits and you're meeting those deadlines and your phone is full of texts and you're making decisions that change people's lives forever, I wasn't happy. I wasn't even remotely happy. I was having panic attacks daily. For a period of time, I was drinking to try not have to think about the fact that I had this weird existence where I was just getting up and moving around imaginary things and impacting people's lives and watching decisions that just really can, I hate it. It just, it didn't feel right in my soul. And I had continued to do it until I got to a position where I had encountered something that I felt was 
unethical. And at that point, I just kind of hit a juncture where I was like, I won't do this anymore. I refuse to be that person. And um, I left. And the way that I made that leap was through meditation and self-evaluation. I hit such a crisis point that there was nothing left for me to do but to hit my knees. And at that point, I was like, well, aren't I choosing to get up and do this? And I look back at my life, and I wore a shit ton of hats. I'd done so many jobs from the army to digging fucking septic drain fields for school clothes money to working in an auto zone to you name it. I did the weirdest shit, you know, or whatever job claims handler. And, um, it kind of started to dawn on me that the choice to remain somewhere was just what I said, a choice. Those golden handcuffs are a choice. When you put them on, you're agreeing to play the game by the rules. And I don't necessarily care about those anymore because I feel like somebody gave me their own set of rules that I didn't agree to. That the measurement of happiness wasn't a car wasn't a house, wasn't a theater, wasn't any of those things. Because I can tell you every time it was a temporary high and I just kept hitting my knees every time, you know, like a week tops, you know, after something. And then you realize that you're just trying to supplement a whole. And as long winded as this is, I think it was just for me. I had gotten to a point where I refused to stay on the hamster wheel. And I knew that. I just wanted to affect change. I didn't want to be part of the machine. I wanted to be part of the creative world where people have hopes and dreams and aspirations and where we're not in handcuffs, whether they're golden or steel or lead, because I think that there's a different set of handcuffs for every juncture that you can sit at in life. And I think that having all those roles in life showed me that I could podcast too, just like anything else. I can do any job, just whether or not I love doing it. And this was the first time in my life that I felt fulfilled speaking to people, hearing their stories, giving them a chance to give back and let people learn from their positions. So it was kind of a no brainer at that point. Why? work in the corporate world when you can hang out with the coolest people on the planet and listen to their stories for pay. (laughs) That's kind of cool. So that's kind of my long-winded answer to that. Well, you know, it's a risk and a lot of people just won't take it. We're not taught in any school, no matter how good or bad it is, like entrepreneurship or chasing your dreams. It's all like the same formula. Like you you quit high school and you either go to college or you go into a trade or you get a job in college, you go to four, six years, whatever it is, get your starter kit job, starter mm-hmm. kit home, work 10 years and maybe get a little better home, a little bigger mortgage, and then you 
in 30 years, you pay that shit off. And, you know, maybe you got a couple years left to go to the fucking Grand Canyon. You're still kicking and then you croak. It's Don't like forget that. your funeral costs and whatever illness you have on the way out the door to suck up the rest of your retirement from, you know, your spouse or right. your own or your inheritance or whatever it might be. And that's the you. dream. That's not the nightmare. Like, that's, that's the that's American the dream. dream. You won. Like, In the game of life, you have won if you did exactly what you described. Yeah, that miserable your, ass yeah. racket of shit that you go through every single day in order to pay the piper to exist on the rock and ride it around over and over and over again. Eat shit. Yeah. That's a horrible deal. Yeah, and it's the goal of many is to like just be able to go to a place where you could work your dick off for 30 <laughs> or 40 years unless they just get rid of you for a robot because you start to cost too much after a while because you've had to get raises and then just get somebody else to fill the job and do it half as well. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's rough. And I, I never wanted that life. I was fortunate enough to get into some situations where I could make a living enough through various stages to get to the next one. But I think I was duped into that. You know, I went to college and for hospitality management, which is fucking my worst nightmare at this point in my life. <laughs> it does sound awful. Are you the guy responsible for putting fucking grapes and uh, water chestnuts in my goddamn chicken salad? Yeah, I, I would be the guy responsible for like fucking angry people at the hotel just screaming <laughs> at me or like making sure that a bunch of other people are just taking care of living this great fucking life, you know, and working ridiculous hours and. You know, I moved to Las Vegas and it's like, what's best at UNLV? Oh, they have the best hospitality management school in the world. Didn't know what I want to do. Go that route. You know, and much like you went to the military, just like, why did you go to the military? Well, that's one of the very few options if you grow up with all I could money, do. You know, it's like it was that or fucking repeat the cycle. Right. And they, and they, they dupe you into free college and free this. And if you go, you'll get training. And, you know, if you don't get your fucking legs blown off or crazy PTSD, like you'll live a, you know, you'll live this good life and you're, you're fighting for freedom. And they tell you anything that they have to, depending on who your recruiter is and what they think you're going to believe, you know, to get you into, into the mix. So any recruiter in the world is selling you something just like the guy with the vacuum cleaner in the 50s. If it has to be sold, there's a reason. Yeah. You know? And so making it through that with your soul still intact is, is hard enough, let alone, you know, giving up the money. You know, you don't grow up with money. You know, that's all you think about, right? It's like, all I thought about was being rich my whole life because having Same. money growing up, it's like, oh, I just can't wait to get the money. As soon as I get the money, I get the car, I get the girls, I get the house, mm -hmm. I get all this shit that they tell you is what you need to have. But how do you risk that comfortability for a shot at something you don't even know it's going to work or not? You got to redefine what success and happiness is. Simple as that. Yeah. The moment that you redefine what success and happiness is, then you free yourself from the constraints of society. Once you begin to act of your own accord and on your own free will authentically and you know as you were made intended whatever you're most inclined to do money and the ability to provide uh, it becomes we had uh 
Amit Singh on the other day, and he summed up the use of money as not something to covet, but more so to use as a tool to facilitate the happiness you intended to have in the first place. People get stuck in the mire, the quagmire, whatever the word is, with their need to have as many coins as possible next to them in order to prove their safety or their worthiness of being at that level. You brought up a great point, starting from the the bottom. I think that as a society, we sell a dream, especially to the lower socioeconomic levels, right? We, at least for myself, I looked at all of the things that I lacked that were on TV were the ways that would make me happy and accepted by the people that I envied so much. Well, I'm here to tell you, A, money don't mean shit, and B, they'll never accept you. Yeah, I think it's worse now. I mean, I grew up, we didn't have much financially, but we had a lot of love and we were around each other and, you know, I had good friends and family and everything. And we didn't have cable and there was no internet. So we had three or four channels, didn't watch hardly any TV. So like you didn't really see that much of this shit that you didn't have. Like we knew, you know, there's people that had more than us, but we always had a decent place to live. We always had, I didn't have Jordans and all that shit, but you know, my mom always said like, you're going to be clean, you're going to be neat, you're going to be matching, might not be the best brands, but you know, she would make sure that we looked presentable and she busted her ass to make sure that, you know, we had, you know, more than the bare minimum. And she was a good cook and, you know, did these things. And I didn't realize like there's other shit, you know, we had Nintendo like maybe a year or two after it came out or something like that. And then we didn't know there was TurboGrafx-16 and other shit that rich kids had. And like, you didn't know, like. You didn't have Nickelodeon to tell you. Nah, exactly. I didn't care if there's a fucking alligator or a fucking whatever on my shirt at the time, you know, like couldn't tell it's fucking same goddamn shirt with a different little animal on it. And one's $90 and one's 12. So like, we didn't know, but now it's like, I think it's more difficult because you just, it's in your face. Like even us, like, you know, Instagram, like here's all these hot chicks or good looking dudes or like people fronting like they're rich when they're not. So everyone's looking at all this shit they don't have. And then what to impress who, you know, and then you're miserable or you spend every minute trying to make money to show off to people you don't even know. It's an endless cycle of bullshit. There's a reason why those groups that have stayed away from society, like, you know, monks and those tribes and things like that, they're not wrong when they say we're insane. They get up every day and they don't care about the other shit going on around. They care about their family. They care about the people around them and the gift of life, you know. And which is aptly named the present, you know, it is a gift and we take advantage of it. We don't live in it. And those remote groupings will look at us and say, yeah, they fly to take naps. It's true. And I like, and I'm a hypocrite all the time. You know, I'll say this and then I'll go buy another fucking $200 pair of shoes. It's like, try to not do that. And then. You know, I don't need a Gucci belt, but if there's one I like, like, I'll spend $400 on it. 
I mean, like, why did I do that? But then I'll feel good. Holy shit. Where I'm wearing $400 on a belt? It's one of the cheaper ones. Holy <laughs> crap. Dude. It's covered no. by my shirt. Like, <laughs> you know, I'll be covered by my shirt 90% of the time. But like, for some reason, like, right? I have to get well, that. Like, email. if there was a part of my body that I really didn't want to call attention to, it would be my waistline. <laughs> I'm 40 something years old. I'm decorating that with the least sparkly thing. I don't want anybody to <laughs> draw attention to it. I don't want Gucci sitting there. I want, like, you know, Lee, <laughs> something that nobody cares about. Yeah. That Dickie's belt. For $9.99 on Amazon yep. doesn't cut it sometimes, I guess. I yeah, no, it doesn't go with a blazer. <laughs> well, I'm never going to wear a blazer. That's but, you know what I mean. Um, so. Back on track. So what are the first steps that, you know, you took? Okay, you, you want to do a podcast. And like a lot of people do that and, and they don't because it's complicated or they don't think they can afford it. What is step one? Because, you know, you have a great studio now and state-of-the-art equipment. You're, you know, you're really have the knowledge and everything but on day one i don't think you had that so what's day one and how i'm gonna get this thing going and figure it out day one is knowing who you are and what you're intended to put out you're not selecting a topic you're not looking for what's hot you're not looking for what everybody else is talking about you're looking at what you are most inclined to say. When you get up and you stand in front of people and you have their attention, what is it that you want to talk about more than anything else in the world? Odds are it's something worthwhile. Because we don't get passionate about things that bring us low value internally. So I think in order to be a podcaster and to effectively enjoy it, you must love what it is that you're putting out, regardless of whose ears it's going to land on. Whether it's one or one million, you have to love what the topic is because the rest of it, you won't even get started. You'll get bogged down in it. You will care about things that you shouldn't care about. You will look at the steps, the microphones, the editing, the, you know, how do I conduct these interviews, all that stuff. Those, much like I said earlier with money, become tools. You don't get mad at your toolbox when you have something that you're creating, right? And I think that the tools become the background to get more and more of that happiness that you derive from doing something that you truly love. Podcasting is a rare platform because it sits in your ear. The only other thing in your ear that closely is your own thoughts. Or wax. Or wax. But it's your own thoughts, your inner voice. And when you're speaking from that authentic place, you're plucking strings inside of people that they don't let anybody else have. You form a familial bond 
with listeners. That's why live reads are so important. Nobody cares about a fucking commercial. They want to know that the person that's been talking to them in their ear for the last fucking year, every day, and they followed their life and the people that they're talking to, that they trust is giving them advice on something that they should buy or that they might enjoy in their life. Podcasting is rare. I think we don't give it enough respect for what it has and the possibilities and capabilities of the reach. Yeah, I agree. I didn't take it as seriously as I should have at the beginning, you know, coming from television world and having millions of viewers and tens of millions of dollar budgets. The more I thought about it, when I started in reality TV, traditional television, you know, the shit on us, uh, scripted movies, all these things were flash in the pan. You know, this is going to be a fad, like it doesn't matter. But it quickly took over because it was usually like real people doing extraordinary things or in extraordinary situations or people could relate, you know, even stuff like the Jersey Shore or whatever, you know, there was their the antics were kind of crazy, but they're normal people in the real world. It's the original reality show. And he's put Heather B and Puck and Puck. Yeah. That's like the only name I remember from, uh, <laughs> from yeah. that show. Yeah. You know, an Afrocentric woman from Brooklyn or wherever she was from, and then a racist guy from Alabama, and then oh yeah, they it, always it, stir the pot real good. You know, it's it's good though. Very like rarely did you see those types of people in one environment. You know, we talked about it on the tension episode. Of, like people need to just sit down and and talk. And in the real world, at the beginning, before it was just like drunk idiots banging each other, it was actually like pretty important. I thought Puck was like a crazy bike messenger from San Francisco or something, and then you had like gangsters, and then you had like smart people, and you had you know the pretty girl who. Everybody thought had her shit together, but doesn't really. And then you had all all these different stereotypes almost, but Mm -hmm. everybody could kind of relate to one of them at some level. And then, you know, there's arguments and fights and and shit all the time, but they're starting to hash out some things that needed to be hashed out. But that doesn't play well on TV. Sometimes it does if it's animated and and contentious, but... No, no. I mean, the successful navigation of an altercation that results in two people just kind of playing checkers or, you know, what's that classic, the wrap up moment where. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Doesn't sell. Somebody's stirring that pot. Somebody's got to be creating additional conflict to get people to stand out. And that can be internal. The person in the chair with the camera point, I'm guessing. I don't know shit about reality TV, but I do know humans. And when you point a camera at a human and they get the opportunity to be seen by everybody, they're not going to act like you think they're going to act. They're going to act like they think they're supposed to act that will get the most people to look at them more. Yeah, it's it's half and half. You know, a lot of people do that. And they, they have seen different characters on TV or, or they develop in their mind what they want to be and you could usually consciously or subconsciously figure that out as the viewer or the producer, whoever, like, you know, there'll be moments of their, we want you know, the real one. The real person comes out, you know, eventually. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of manipulation on a lot of these shows by the producers, by the people there that, that want the conflict. And if they're not getting it, they're really good at lying or steering editing. people in the right Ooh. direction, editing as well, you know, and, you know, I understand on every show, you know, we shoot two, 300 hours for a 42 minute episode worth of tape, you know, on a lot of shows. And it's like, you have to pick and choose what you put in there. And that's going to tell the story in a certain way. 
you know, we always try to tell it as accurately as we can, but you got 16 people living an experience for a week and you got to break that down to 42 minutes of an episode, you know, a lot of stuff gets left out. And there's a lot of responsibility in that to represent each person in the proper light and give them their time for what they put into the situation, because regardless of whether or not they're on the screen, there has to be a responsibility to the person that's putting themselves in that chair for you to be able to film that you want to give the best representation. You want to put it out there as best you can. So I can see how it could get really heated or internally that internal monologue of the choice between whose face is the one that shows up on that episode at a certain point in time is the one that could change somebody's life forever for that right interpretation of that scene. Yeah, it's true. And like people, you know, their memory is rough too after, and you know, they, people are like, I was cool the whole time. And you put these four moments where I was being a dick and then I'm like, nah, you weren't really that cool though. That's a whole other conversation. That's yeah. that zero self-awareness. Yeah. It's very rare, but there's been a few people that really have hated shows I've done. And normally, they don't get anyone to back them up. You know, the other characters on the show or whatever, be like, nah, you're a bitch the whole time. You're an asshole the whole time. Like, you just, sorry. Like, you might not have thought you were in the moment, but we try to tell it accurately, but we understand that there's, you know, limited time, especially in fighting shows and stuff where a big part of the show is the actual competition and then, Mm -hmm. you know, the background story stuff is is limited. You try your best to make it interesting and so important, accurate, but some people, like, you know, if you get in a big screaming match over some bullshit with the person you're going to fight, we're probably going to put that on the show. We're not going to put the 30 times you sat on the couch next to him and didn't say anything to him. Yeah. Or <laughs> well, you guys shared string cheese. Yeah. That's not going to fucking go over well. Nah, that would be interesting if you're sharing ching- <laughs> string cheese with someone you're about to punch in the face the next day. I would put that on. <laughs> <laughs> From string cheese to... Here you go. Here you go. <laughs> Yes. I like the idea of two giant ass fighters sitting there, like peeling them off. That's too thick. Give me a thinner piece. Yeah. What the <laughs> fuck, man? You, t- you you got definitely more than half. You know, but like sometimes. Why don't you get Sargento? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they, they yell out of my production assistant for getting the wrong string cheese. We had a guy like almost attack a guy for getting gummy bears instead of gummy worms one time. <laughs> what? Yeah. Like, just put them in a line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, but like does on the he other not side, bite them? Yeah, you know, but like on the other hand, it's like a guy that can't go shop for himself. He's trapped in this house, maybe just lost, maybe just got injured, like missing his girl, his kids. You know, and this the one true. thing he wanted that day was his fucking gummy worms, and he got gummy bears, and he's at his breaking point because you know, live <laughs> gummy bears can be your breaking house. point. Yeah, I mean, it's in the moment you're like fucking this guy, Jesus Christ, That's, man. Like, but first of all, that needs to be a T-shirt. Gummy bears could be your breaking point. Yeah, I mean. And then on top of that, that's one of the most important things to remember when we're watching all of these amazing videos of people melting down all over social media over what we deem as something stupid as shit, but in reality could be after a three family member death and everything in between, and all they wanted just that one time was a goddamn caramel macchiato, and they can't get it right because the person at that particular moment was giving them nothing. Yeah. They could I mean, literally not be doing anything wrong, but it is just the moment. It has come 
to this moment in time where I am finally going to revert back to my five-year-old self and have my meltdown. We're all going to watch it and we're going to give it adult consequences, but it's the fucking same. Yeah. I mean, it's like the outside looking in. It's always, you know, like your situation, people looking at your corporate life and this guy's got it all and he's got a fucking nice suit and a nice car and that kind of thing. And then like, People will think you're crazy for giving that up and just trying some shit that may or may not work, you know? And it's like, but that person that thinks that's crazy is probably stuck somewhere where they fucking hate it and they're working for the weekend, if that, you know? So why? I Like, I don't, I know why I did it because it was sold to me. It was sold to me as the pill, the pill that would make me happy. Like if I swallowed that or if I just had what everybody else had, that I didn't growing up, maybe then I won't be depressed or sad or, you know, envious of other people's happiness and things like that. And simply not the case. Yeah. It's podcasting for me. It's music. For me, it's those two things. It's being able to see the look on people's faces when they feel relieved or they feel heard or when they get feedback from how they impacted somebody else's life, things like that. For me, the show is giving people that opportunity to share what was so hard for them, but they successfully navigated and a way to allow them to feel the fulfillment of giving something back. Yeah, I learned something from every guest we have, whether they're an old lady or a young guy or someone from a totally different country or state or socioeconomical position or job or life, you know, from a major league baseball player to, you know, chiropractor to, you know, to it's players. wired, isn't it? They've all had experiences, you know, or, or they've learned something or, you know, you could learn a lot from other people's mistakes too, if you're paying enough attention and chiropractor on here was like killing it right guys millionaire or something close and then takes a left turn you know why would you do that you went to college and grad school and you did all these things to get to this job and you're just making so much money and like why the fuck would you just not want to do that anymore people you know don't get it but you know if you're not happy like the only person that could solve that is you you know there's risk involved i get told all the time oh you're so lucky (laughs) i left ohio and cleveland and you know, and mm-hmm. a week after I turned 18 with $400 and I drove across the country to try to get into college, to try to do something and that didn't work. And then the next thing didn't work. And, you know, I just, I, did, so, I got a couple opportunities where I get stuck somewhere and stuff started going good, but mm-hmm. like those scared me more than when I was homeless or broke or, you know, living with 25 yeah. people in a I was actually bedroom. homeless for a little while. I don't talk about that, but I was homeless for a while. And as a kid, we ate the Denton Bent. It was a place like this little uh, shack out on like a country road that all the um, grocery stores would have like dented, damaged goods or whatever it is. The things that, you know, people were like, ugh, not buying that SpaghettiOs, you know, or whatever. They'd dump it over there in big boxes and you would go in, they'd be like 15 cents or 20 cents for the damaged goods or whatever. Although, don't ever take their word for an unlabeled box. No. <laughs> your your SpaghettiOs and meatballs will become beats. Like <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fun game. 
No, that is the worst game ever to a hungry person. Yeah. <laughs> you a hungry kid? <laughs> like what kind of what kind of saw shit is that? <laughs> to yeah, to sauce. <laughs> Give him <laughs> beets instead of beets. Yeah, those beets are good for you. For a good day. <laughs> a little pep in your stem. Little antioxidants. That's like pulling a steak on a string away from a starving kid. <laughs> yeah, but the antioxidants, Junior. But fucking canned beets. That's disgusting. Like that that is up there with one of the grossest things you could put in a plate. Mm. They Probably. taste like dirt. They look like innards. And they give you a heart attack the next day when you go to the bathroom if you don't remember you ate them. Oh, I had a bad incident with something similar. <laughs> <laughs> Did you drink one of those finger jugs of wine? No, I got really drunk and polished off a whole plate of uh, red velvet brownie or red velvet cupcakes, <laughs> which I did not remember doing the next morning when I took the most fluorescent red shit of my life. <laughs> That'll make you rethink your life in that moment. Oh, I did. Like I, I was at a baby shower for two of my best friends. And I, like I called my mom in the morning and I'm like, I finally fucked up. You always told me like, stop drinking. They're going to ruin your life. Like, it's, like there's something like really fucking bad. And, Oh, Next to where I was, and then she ends up calling my friend because they're they're pretty close. And my mom calls me back laughing. I'm like, I'm "Glad you think this is funny." And she's like, "Call Jamie and found out what happened." And I'm like, well, "Well, how the fuck would she know?" So I called. She's like, "Yeah, last thing I remember you doing is you passed out on the porch by the pool, and then you woke up. You called it Uber. You grabbed the plate of red velvet cupcakes and went, ha ha, and you ran out. <laughs> <laughs> you hamburglered and took off out the door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you ran out the door, and uh, I couldn't find the tray or any remnants of it. <laughs> you route. ran them in route? Yeah, you shared them with the Uber guy. <laughs> or, like, it's part of the reason why I have such a bad Uber rating. <laughs> Your Uber bad. rating drops. <laughs> it just has a red velvet cupcake. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, you're an asshole, and you knew everybody wanted to have some of those, but in the moment, you went, ha-ha, and you ran out the door. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes it all worth it. That yeah. simple ha-ha makes everything that you just said worth it. Yeah, they were glad I did it. They were mad, at, and they got the story, and they're like, oh, that's great. You deserve that. Yeah, they, they, they all had their ha <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the beats will do that. Too. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, so I've interviewed all these people, like I said, and it, but it's, it's hard for me to be interviewed or to talk on camera still to this day. How is it for you to, you know, I know growing up, kids are dicks and, you know, it's like going into the corporate world, you're judged so much. Like, how did you put that camera on and, and be comfortable in front of it? Be able to you know speak freely and and not be like shit in your pants the whole time so a couple things one i still shit my pants but two if you need therapy which i believe we all do in life editing your own voice and your own interactions with people for years will teach you things about yourself you never knew because you don't hear what you said in those moments. You start out there. Oh my God, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I said this. I shouldn't have said that. But then the longer you do it, you start to hear the whining, the interjection, 
inflections in your voice that you other people hear the unconscious actions that we're using to get people to accept us in various ways. And I was bullied much like a lot of other people. I talk about it on the show because I think that, um, we should think that people deserve the freedom internally from the chains that are provided by bullies early on in life. If people were to look at a bullied child later in life, they look like everybody else, except for the fact that if you saw that small internal human that was standing there inside their mind, they would look like Harry Houdini. They would be wrapped to such a degree with chains that they could never act of their own accord because they're so afraid that at any given time, they're going to be judged. That somebody is going to tell them that what they're doing is not acceptable. And they won't realize that what they're saying to you is that they don't have the guts. They don't have the guts to act like you're acting. They don't have the guts to believe in themselves and be authentic. They don't have the guts to be judged. That's what people are doing. They're telling you, you can't do it because they refuse to do it themselves. Yep. And in many ways, you know, it's cliche as fuck, but misery needs company. You know, people that are stuck in a miserable existence are the ones Never anybody that's living their dream tells you not to live your dream. You know, it's always the person that's just life sucks and they and they don't know what their dream is or don't want to go after it or don't want to change it. Beat out of them. Yeah. You knew you were supposed to be something from the day you were born. You may not have had it pinpointed, but you were inclined to do something. I bet if you look back on your life, it's an easy path to see where you're standing. Might look like it from the outside. Oh, this is golden. You know, you fucking made out like a bandit, all these different things. But I bet you could look back and see your childhood growing up in the streets, you know, of Cleveland, seeing what that hierarchy of fighting is, seeing what it's like, the camaraderie, you know, different environments that create different mindsets that suddenly you're standing in a group of testosterone enraged men that all have to go in there and be put in a pressure cooker to fight for the opportunity of their life. Yet you have zero issue talking to them. You have no problem. Breaking up their fights too. I mean, like. Exactly. 10 guys fighting for years. I was the only one allowed to break up fights. Like I wouldn't let any of my production assistants or somebody go in there. And, you know, it's pretty much my role, but they also knew that I'm not going to ever sue anybody. Like against my religion to call the authorities for any reason. <laughs> so if I get knocked the fuck out, like I know what I signed up for, I'm going to jump in the middle of that and not going to put some kid whose first day is in harm's way, you know? I'm going to handle leadership. that myself, you know? Like, luckily, this season of this slab fighting, I have my boy Cole, who's seven feet tall, as uh, my right hand man, and a uh, guy, Evan. Holy crap, dude. Seven yeah. foot. Tall. Do you have any pictures together? I do. I'll show you one. It's it's crazy. But I'll tell you, I just, I had, everybody's given the opportunity to not do that. And, you know, I, the other producers on the show is a, 
a Colombian girl named Marissa is about my size, a, a Jewish kid from the Bay Area is maybe five eight, can't hesitate. They got in there, broke shit up, handled situations. We never stopped rolling the cameras. Crazy people just dispatched out the front door, camera crew comes back in the back. Like, you know, we just adapt we and overcome. Yeah, like everyone had their like different method of dealing with it. You know, Evan was like the the very calming, pragmatic guy, like was able to in the chaos to like explain like exactly. Oh, that's an ADHD guy. He's just very, very good. And Marissa would come in like over there, fucking, (laughs) you know, like mom coming in and you guys are going to get a fucking, you know, and that's cool though. Yeah. Like we had all our different ways of doing it. And then I would come in and they'd be like, oh, the bosses here, we're in trouble. I'm like, yeah, motherfuckers. Like I just drove 34 minutes to get here 120 miles an hour. Like you guys better act right. (laughs) (laughs) get your heads out of that fucking rear point of contact yeah you know and and cole is the guy that interviewed him every day and really helped him through this situation and he's you know one of the guys that recruited a lot of them and they respect for him even though he's a a big dude like you know what that's like you build a relationship with these guys when you're or these you know fighters when you're asking them questions at the pinnacle of their opportunities in life there's got to be a bond that's formed in that scenario like no other. Yeah, we become their therapists. You know, I'm, I'm really good friends with a lot of the people that have been on the show before. And a lot of it came through the interview process. You know, Kimbo Slice, like I used to in- interview him for two hours a day, like every day. I mean, hardly any of it made the show, but like that dude, you know, he missed his family and home more than mm-hmm. anybody. And he looked tough, you know, but when he, he wanted to, you know, he needed to, have some vulnerability or whatever, you know, he would come to the interview room and get away from all the, the savages in the house at the time, you know, and, you know, that guy, I picked him up for the first time at the hotel to bring him onto the show. And, you know, I went in the hotel room, he had like 30 thugs in his hotel room, like <laughs> his gold fronts, beard, chains, like huge dudes, just ice grilling me the whole time. And I was like, this is, this is a little, <laughs> I don't even know, you know, and we got in the car and Kimbo was like, yeah, my manager said, I don't got to follow all the other rules. These other motherfuckers got to follow. Like I could watch TV. I could call my daughter. Like I could do all this shit. And I was like, uh, he's like, I don't want none of that shit. He's like, no matter how hard I beg, no matter if I threaten you, he's like, you better never give me one thing that the other motherfuckers don't have. He's like, I don't, I don't want any caveats. I don't want any asterisks. I don't want any of that shit. I'm a winner or lose this with these. And that's it. And I was like, oh shit, man, that's not what I was expecting. And, and that's time, perfect. You know? And I was like, damn. And he, he tested me on that a few times. Like, man, I just come on one call, man. One call. I'm like, nah, man. Like that. You told me. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to do it, man. It's not right. And you'll regret it. And I'll regret it after. And he never got like too upset about it or anything. You know, that's he was story. grateful in the end. I'm sure he was like, we became really good friends after that. And you know, it's, it's a sad Rest in peace sad situation but you know that's his real self came out in those interviews you know he, there's a certain amount of posturing you have to do in the house with potential opponents and all the alpha males in there but most people <laughs> eventually just tell their real life and real story and what they're scared of or what they're excited about like you know if you're good at it and you know i just have conversations with people instead of like a list of questions or try to get them to say something that i want them to say Ugh. you know like it I couldn't do a script or a list if my life depended on it. Every time I've tried to do something similar to that, it sounds like a robot. I trip over everything. I don't know. I I cannot have an agenda in these scenarios except for something high level. 
very high level. And then I'm just going to kind of roll with it and take it where it goes. Yeah. There, there'll be like topics that you need to address, you know, in, yeah, in your case, I see show, it. like the fight that just happened or like, a, you know, certain things that like, I needed to make sure I talk about these in the interview, but I don't try to push people towards the answers that I think would be better or that I want. Like I want people to tell me exactly how they really feel about something because that's the real story. You well, know, that's why you're good at what you do. Yeah, it's tough. You know, at, at the beginning, you know, you'll have editors, you know, some of them that want it cookie cutter and it's easy to cut in. And I just need a 10 second soundbite from each guy about this and pushing this narrative. But the good ones will take the story for what it is, not what they thought it would be and, you know, craft it that way and make it as real as possible. So we have a lot of that on the shows that I work on and three years of weeding out, you know, people that don't have that mentality and people that maybe didn't have it at the beginning come to see that that's the right way to do it. Everyone has their own style, but everybody should, everybody should have their own style. I mean, if we're going to be creators, mimicry is the weakest form of fucking flattery. If you ask me. Yeah, I think, you know, there's things you could learn from people and and take those qualities or those lessons and, and kind of mesh them into your, you know, your you world, take but the message that somebody gives you and you show a parallel effort to what it is they got to get to their creative yeah. pinnacle, whatever that was. Don't recreate what they made. That's stupid. It's yeah. boring too. Fuck. Yeah. And it's I can't think boring. of anything less horrifying now than having to make the same thing. Over and over and over. I would lose my shit. No two shows on the Tragedy Academy are similar. Like the art and all the stuff that comes out of the show, the music, all that kind of stuff. It will never be the same all the time, like on social media and all that kind of stuff, because I can't sit and do that. I just can't. I'm surprised that I've left the intro alone for as long as I have. <laughs> yeah the intro sets the stage but if you were to do the art and the music the same for everybody like that would be a disservice to them because you're trying to take their personality and put it on you know, i owe them to a page or to to a song and it's tough but i know like the amount of thought you put into it and most people don't give a shit that much you know they'll just but whatever, I didn't. Oh, that, that looks okay. Like, I'll, you know, I didn't then, give a shit about anything for a long time, dude. I was self centered, a narcissist. I treated people like shit, ran through my life with fucking the wrong goals, the wrong things, you know, that I valued, all that shit. I'll be paying up until I'm fucking 100 doing these interviews for being such an asshole in life. It is what it is. I have to, you know, do what makes me authentic. And hope that that's the best thing that I can contribute to society. This is me being me. The rest is me being what I thought was supposed to be me. Well, and also it's like, that's where the creativity comes in. You know, that's why you you do this. If I'm going to just do the same shit every time. Then what am I even doing it for? You know? It's, it's like, mental health, dude. Art, music, talking. You know, if you want some cognitive behavioral therapy, just start a podcast. Edit yourself. Or, you know, it's, people don't think they're creative. Maybe they didn't. 
Maybe they did mm. sports when they were a kid or, you know, like Kelvin, you know, one of the best athletes I've ever met. He starts doing music. Some people would say, yeah. yeah, some people would say, yeah, fucking guy's a fighter. Even me, like, he's like, hey, I started rapping. And I'm like, okay, let me, let me hear it. You know, skeptical. There's a lot of people that start ABC one, two, three, and you know, they don't put emotion in it. And like within 30 seconds, I'm like, fuck, this guy's got it. Like there's work to be done. But of course. the heart's but that's there, the fun the part. soul's there, like the shit that you really want is there. You know, Bryce Mitchell, the same thing. Oh, and, yeah, and, that was super surprising, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like, but he took the approach of like, I'm going to put my heart and soul onto this first Authentic. before I try to like rap or rhyme, you know? And like that is how you develop your own style because if you don't, you're listening to a rapper that you like and then trying to, you know, emulate them. And when I was a kid growing up and I started rapping, like when someone said, oh man, you sound like somebody, that was an insult. Now it's like, oh, mm. you sound like Drake. You sound Jocking like Jocking somebody's shit. Yeah, like being a biter was the fucking worst thing. Like writing graffiti or rapping, if you're a biter, like, you know, you're biting someone's style, like fucking people hate Couldn't even wear the same shirt. Now nah, we, we tried so hard because like there's no internet. So <laughs> you went to the same two malls and like they had four Carl Kanai shirts at the two malls and like, Oh, you know, I feel bad for you. We had it. one busted ass Bugle Boy outlet in a fucking Walmart. And the one time I went to the Bugle Boy outlet, everything there was fucking misshapen. Zipper on the fucking side or like, you know, the shirt was shaped like a fucking parallelogram or some other nonsense like that. I couldn't shop on the other racks. The one few times, the one time that I got in there, man stupid fucking bugle boy like on the cosby show remember that one where he had that that it was a gordon garshrail shirt or whatever and then he had his sister sew one for him and it was like <laughs> i remember that he was up there it was like all fucking like weird looking the pocket was one place the sleeves yeah. were out of, and it was like that silk shirt time frame wasn't it yeah it was it was like yellow it was malcolm jamal warner yeah, they, they, I remember. I don't know why I remember the designer's name was like Gordon Garshrail and they couldn't afford it. Then I was, <laughs> what but like, if you had a like, confidence, you could like rock that shit. You know, like you could you could have rocked the fucking zipper on the side of your shit and having to pee all sideways. You're a hundred percent correct. The right authenticity in that moment allows you to start a trend with zippers on the hip. That you have to turn sideways to use the bathroom, and that's the cool thing. You see these hats, dude? They have these double-sized hats now. The fucking comic size look like, kind of like you're getting a fucking Sunday at Baskin-Robbins in the 80s in the fucking helmet hat or the helmet ice cream. Yeah. They're, some dude they're giant. Probably, some dude couldn't afford a hat and probably wore his homeboy with a big-ass heads hat sometime. And, like, that was, like... It was I'm a football player. I'm just going to rock it all big over my ears and then... Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about big. I'm talking about mascot big. Yeah. This is a thing right now. These giant hats, if you look it up, they are selling these hats that are comically large and people are wearing them like a normal baseball cap that's huge. Google it, please. It will blow your mind when you see this. You're a hat and a shoe guy. When you see this, you're going to be like, are you fucking kidding me? Mm, that's <laughs> I'm progressively watching your eyes take this in. <laughs> it oh, gets I thought better. it was like just wearing a size like eight when you were like a seven. No, these are like, like comically large fucking baseball hats 
they <laughs> sit on top of your head like you stole the nacho bowl. No, that's that's <laughs> that's not right. This this is Photoshop. It's not. It was a football player, I think, that did it first for his guy. He like fucking put it on, wore it in the locker room during an interview, and then all of a sudden, everybody's walking around like a fucking bobblehead. Brian Robinson. Look at that nonsense. Nothing's real. Everything's make believe. If that's a thing, I mean, I remember when like everyone started rocking ski goggles like in the hood <laughs> where no one ever been on a snowboard or whatever. I remember like, that. Like on your head. Yeah, I did that shit. Like we went, I switched out some Oakley like, goggles. Oh yeah, for sure. I had camouflage Oakley ones. We switched out the boxes at the store for switch. Put them in the nineteen ninety nine box. <laughs> Oakley ones. Yeah, like I, I rocked those shits for a while. Like, oh, but you live up north, so it's really uh, like because if you put on ski goggles in Okeechobee, Florida. <laughs> People right did like I was over the top. I had a wave cap on and like a headband, and then a ski guy. Oh man, like a huge gold chain that was not really gold at all. There's a movie with Seth Green back in like the '90s, uh, like Can't Buy Me Love or something like that, or Can't Hardly Wait or some shit. Yeah, yeah. Where (laughs) he's like dressed exactly like you're describing. Yeah, I I looked like that. Oh, I had a Caesar for a while, like the wet Caesar cut right across the mo that's what i like to call it because when it's not wet or like whatever you look like fucking mo from the stooges i had the mo it was not a good look i had like frosted tips at one point that was fucking sad that's too far too far (laughs) frosted tips is too far (laughs) see yeah you got something out of me right before the end of the show yeah i mean we all go through this like trying to find like what we we are. are you know it's like everything's derivative of something. You know, you, you're not the first one that Eric, I'm not the first one to shave, man. I'm not the first one to wear a hat like this, but it's like, well, all the things like you got to find like what works for you and, and wear it. Cause you feel like it looks hey, good. Or, like if it's a strainer or a nacho bowl with a fucking Nike symbol on it, rock on. Yeah. I think so. And like, I don't know the, the, the creativity. I don't know. I guess maybe it's the internet or whatever, but it's out of and like trends. Like everybody follows them, it seems. We had those too, but we always try to be like a little different within those trends, I think. Much slower moving too. Time to put your signature on a trend. You had the ability to make a trend your part, your signature part of a trend. Now, if you blink, you're three trends behind. Yeah, like these shirts. Like I was like, I'm not wearing no sponsor shirt when you told me about this. And then I looked. And I'm like, oh, some of these are dope. And like, I went through their hundred shirts and found the three that I like first. And I'm like, yeah, I'll rock that. Like, unfor- you know, if they're grateful or gracious enough to sponsor us, but their shit sucks, I'm not wearing it. But their shit doesn't suck. I, I, and- I just can't recommend anything that I wouldn't use or wear myself. Yeah. I mm-hmm. just can't. That's Into the AM actually came on my radar for one shirt. And it was like a, a, I think they called it like a geisha, like split, some something like that. But it was like, um, it was an Asian woman with a skull face on one side and then the makeup on the other side. And it was just so dope. And as soon as I went into that site, I was like, man, I need to know this artist because there's so many wild Wild interpretations of like the yin yang, the polarity, the duality. There's yeah. a ton of those in there. 
I they look like it. cool neon shirts, a lot of them. But then when you really like analyze it, there's something like a message of some sort in every single one. Of them. It's like Bingo. something that, you know, and, uh, that's cool. And I like, I dream about space and I make a lot of music that's like space sounding. And like, you know, we've talked about Marvin the Martian is like always my favorite cartoon. He like, was, he was one of my favorites as a kid. Yeah, you're, I have a few. Yeah. When you're in a place where you're not necessarily happy, like you look up and you fucking dream about other places and then you, uh, come back and realize like there was a lot more happiness around than you thought at the time. Like, well, they invest back in the arts. Like they're, um, they give back in the last charity they did was like this one called like Elysium. And it was for, I want to say it was like inner city or areas that could not get access to arts. And they, you know, supported that kind of community, which to me again was super cool because one of the reasons why I'm discovering music now is because I didn't have the same capabilities as a kid or the access to the same materials or anything growing up. Whereas if there was a program like that, that had showed up my door and had like a saxophone to hand me or, you know, a, a sketch pad with this or whatever it was and said, Hey, look, your art is worthwhile. You know, you have something inside of you to give to the world that's not been pre-described. It's like the best arts came from that, you know, like to me, I'm a graffiti and hip hop guy. And like these kids couldn't afford trumpets and saxophones, but, you know, someone scratched the fucking record and like, oh, if I do that, if I slow it down, that's a different beat. Well, if I had this other one, shit, like now I got an acapella and if I repeat that same thing over and over again, that's something different. People still don't think that's art or playing an instrument, but try to do it yourself. And then kids didn't have pads and paper and you know canvases and shit but they got a couple cans of spray paint from their garage or construction site and started going on the walls and the you know dilapidated buildings and making them better a lot of graffiti is not necessarily attractive look behind me and one of my favorite graffiti artists you know like this is the kind of guy that was you know from san diego and from the hood of vegas and like he didn't have shit growing up but he started to draw on what he had and that's not like anybody else's no it's completely you ever see nothing like that you know, it's like develop your own style and, you know, it's like going back to the biting, like fuck you, get your shit crossed out and get fucking shot for fucking putting some crap up in the wall that looks like somebody else's. Yikes. Like, you know, it's probably a little extreme, but you know, nobody wants that shit, you know, push, be progressive, do your own thing. If it's simple, that's cool too. If it's unique, you know, you know what? Simple's okay because if you're doing what is authentic to you, it should be simple to do. Whether it's hard, it's simple because you're enjoying it. Yeah. It's what you want to do. Everybody thinks that success requires pain and it will happen in root, but it's not the requirement. And that's also what you define as it. It's, it's repurposing it in many ways. I mean, the, the best mm. musicians of all time have, have suffered tremendously, you know, a lot of them, whether it's circumstance or mental illness or depression or, or poverty. But you look at from the Amy Winehouses to the Notorious Bigs, the Kurt Cobains, the Bob Marleys, you know, people that are considered yep. great. You know, they didn't have two parents that were accountants and then go to a four-year school and get a great job <laughs> no. and marry their high school sweetheart and have two little blonde-haired kids and pick a fence house and everything's hunky-dory. I'm just going to start making some music. Never happens. Those people yeah. don't usually create much 
you know? Yeah, there's uh, not a long line for the chicken strip and macaroni lunch that you made for the house wrap. Um, it has to be authentic to people's worlds. Yeah. I just haven't heard that rap yet. Yeah, it's out there. There's some you people need struggle, not yeah. a kid's menu hanging out, you know, in the burbs. Yeah, and and some people have been able to make some good music out of those situations. I'm sure, but it's rare. You know, it's mostly like, you know, uh, e- expressing stuff. Even with my music, as I've gotten older, I have less and less to talk about. You know, because I don't, you know, I talk about the past a lot or the future, but the present's pretty fucking good. And like, not really remarkable on a song sometimes, you know? So, yeah. but why can't it be? Yeah, it, it could be in some ways, but a lot of times it's like, I go to work every day, I work really Ryan. hard, like, pay my bills on Grinding, time. paying my bills, you know, my stacks and blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah. You know, but like, what got me to this point is more interesting in my opinion. And then just, you know, it, now it's more observational. Uh, so I'm able to like, sit back a little bit and see things that you can't see when you're in the mix. You know, it's like almost a bird's eye view. Uh, That's mindfulness, my man. It comes with wisdom too. time. Start to realize that the stuff going on around you is more of a distraction than it is an interaction. You don't have to engage with it. You can just let it be happening and it's still going to happen whether you're there or not. Once you start to fucking grasp that, then you realize that you don't need to spend all of your time tearing, you know, getting involved in other people's realities. You can just fucking let it roll. Observing it from the outside gives you the opportunity to help others get a macro view so that they too can, you know, maybe affect some internal change, figure out a direction they can go. Just, you know, you interviewing people, like when the questions that you asked me, like a lot of them, you know, pretty obvious shit people will ask me, but you didn't ask me only about being a reality director, producer. You found some blurb about a book I was writing that not many people know about or like a musical thing that I would, you know, you found parts of my life that I don't share that much because, I mean. Most people ask me about my job because it's a cool job. I love it. You know, it's you don't meet reality television producers every day. And any other time I've been interviewed or anybody's asked me about it, they just want to ask me about that. And I don't mind speaking about it, but to find the other things. And I think you do that about, you know, with a lot of guests, it's the obvious shit. You'll, you'll touch on that, but then you go and, and either you discover during the interview and, and you kind of, you know, go towards that way, or you've done the research ahead of time, but. I think that's a good interviewer, you know, and I always tell people when I'm training them to interview, like, listen, people don't listen. They have their list mm-hmm. of questions, they get an answer and then they go to the next one, but they just gave you the next question and their answer, but you just missed it all day long. You know, like that's, you know, and sometimes you have very limited time and there's mm-hmm. things that maybe won't plan whatever episode or whatever, but I, they leave a little fucking trail, you know, trail of crumbs. I'm going to go down that trail see like why they just feel that way or why what made them so upset like cool Mm. you just told me really pissed off about the guy throwing your fucking food away why'd that make you mad oh i was poor i grew up hate wasting food you know my mom would have really got upset she worked three jobs suddenly you're relatable 
Yeah, like now it's a whole different story. It's you're not just some asshole bitching about a half a cheeseburger that nobody cares about. Like you got upset because your whole life you've hated people wasting food because you either got in trouble for it or you feel some sort of way. You know, like those are the kind of stories that all of a sudden now you're getting into this big tough guy's fucking vulnerability in their childhood and where they're from. And it started with them being a little angry about somebody throwing their sandwich. You never know what's going on behind somebody else's eyes, man. And that's what this show is to try to give people a chance to tell the story from their viewpoint, where they come from, and to give advice to other people to be able to do it too. Kind of just bring people back together, show people that we're the same, even though we're different, that we're same in the fact that we're all here. We're all here together. We're all playing this game. We're all, you know, family. And the similarities are important, but the differences are too. I think like with yeah. PC culture and, you know, all this stuff, people are trying to like get people to act the same, you know, shows are like getting rid of Asian people because they acted too Asian or getting rid of the, you know, and the office wants to get rid of the Asian people. And the I love you can scene. act too much yourself. Yeah. You know, maybe they were a little stereotypically this or that. Oh, you mean the it's scripted like, characters? Right, but still, yeah, those are like, way over the top. You know people have differences, you know, and like, you can't talk about it. Like it's some people in the room might be like, you know, think it's racist, you know, and like talked about this on when I was, you know, first a guest and how my black friends and, you know, Croatian friends or whatever, their parents would always make spaghetti when I would go over to their house, you know? And I'm like, I don't want that shit, man. I appreciate that. That doesn't play the opposite direction, by the way. What if you my, can't my have like, your my black friends over and have your mom make a big thing of fried chicken or some shit like that. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> but you get in trouble for that. And like, they were just trying to make it comfortable. Well, either that or it's just the right friend, you know, they might be like, fuck, it's just chicken. But yeah, but <laughs> what they're trying to do, do, but like the shit that makes you different is what I want to try. You know, like I want to see what you guys. That's what I like about you. That was one of the things that you said during that, that I really loved is you're right. Variety is the spice of life. Yeah, what's up with that cornbread you're always talking about? Fuck is this? Fuck yeah. You got ketchup on fucking egg noodles, man. I'm not down with that. (laughs) Ketchup on egg noodles. Like, yeah, what's up with that fucking, you know, fucking Polish friends, like pierogies. What were those? Ketchup on egg noodles sounds like a line in a Disney song. (laughs) Ketchup on egg noodles. I've had it. I've had it before, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Who hasn't (laughs) eaten ketchup? A wish sandwich? Those are always good. The wish sandwich is when you put condiments on that bitch and wish you had other shit between the bread. No, oh, yeah, I fucking definitely had that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're an uh, hour and change in. Probably should wrap this one up. What do you think? Shit. Anything I, you didn't get to ask me? Probably tons of stuff, but yeah. overall, I'd just like to thank you again for having me as part of this show and you know teaching me oh, a lot of shit cool, about myself and just about other people and putting me in front of these people that I wouldn't have normally, you know, I try to get out there and meet people, but you know, this is a place where I could meet people from all over the world for an hour mm-hmm. or two. Um, whether they're a yogi or a chiropractor or a baseball player or gang you know, member. Or- yeah. You know, people that have been through shit or, you know, people, you know, the woman that's like the, I don't even know the falconer or whatever. Oh I yeah. Mean. Right. That was wild. Yeah. She's like Dr. Muller. Yeah, Abu Dhabi like, Falcon Hospital veterinarian. I'm like, I don't know about this. And then, like, I was the coolest thing I've ever heard. Like, like, oh, like, why is this only an hour? Like, I need, I've, I've had so many more questions, you know? And right. 
that went like the left turn. I was just going to ask her about Falcons for two hours, and then we didn't even really talk about Falcons because she had so much other interesting shit to talk about. And you're like, ah, I gotta get her back and talk about the Falcons. And, and like, we did. That's yeah. when we found out that Falcons can't see shit, and they'll run into you trying to get to something else. <laughs> yeah, they'll go right through your face. You better watch out. Got my Falcon around. I love uh, the complete absence of their <laughs> self-preservation. <laughs> Like that's, that's a, a fatal flaw, right? Like you, you fucked up in the design with that one. I'll fuck you up too. Those things. Oh are yeah. Like, I'm not taking one of those beaks to the side of my head. Ah, they said they fly like faster than a fucking airplane. You know, like <laughs> 300 miles an hour going towards your dome. Like with getting hit with a fucking golf ball off the tee, right to the like side a, of the head. With a spike on it. Oh, with a spike on it. <laughs> like an arrow. <laughs> Just Feathers and shame. Yeah, 30, <laughs> just, 30 pound arrow going 300 miles an hour is three or four. What head. does that look like? Like, if you're that one dude in Abu Dhabi, you're out there, your bird's coming back, you're in the moment, you're so excited, you see him, you call him Falcor or whatever, like the never ending story, it's coming down there, and then you have your hand up, and here comes Jeff walking right in front of you. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff is in Abu Dhabi, and he can't sit there. He's like, hey, guys. Jeff, Jeff has a fanny pack and a camera. He's like, hey, <laughs> the fucking coming back to the <laughs> Like a damn just, Looney Tunes cartoon. Just just back a- feet are like right here. <laughs> I like I like this picture though. The, <laughs> this very serious scenario going on out there, bonding with your falcon, and then all of a sudden Jeff comes by with his fucking his camera and his fanny pack and it takes a yeah, Jeff, falcon you know, in the face. Jeff just ain't paying attention. Oh, Jeff. Well, <laughs> in memory, rest in peace, Jeff, because you surely didn't make it through that. No. No way. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> um, before we go, likewise, dude, if you'd have told me Three years ago that I'd be sitting, you know, with the guy that is, you know, having produced thousands of hours of reality TV would come on and sit with me and mentor me in a lot of ways. And then also, you know, allow this to be part of your creative world because you've got much bigger shit that you could be playing with. And this hit your radar. That to me is this is something I created. And to have somebody to support that. That's the biggest thing that you can do for someone. And I appreciate you for that. They will come. That's honestly what I've been doing the whole time. Just build it. They'll come, you know? And if one person hears one of these stories or one of these anecdotes or analogies or metaphors and gets that key piece of information that allows them to turn a corner or feel a little less pain, then fuck it. It's all worth it. Yep. That's it. All right, man. Remember, everybody, be cool and keep learning. And pay attention. Yeah, and pay attention. Falcons. Don't be Jeff. Watch out for Falcons, Jeff. That's my brother-in-law's name. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) I just fucking annihilated him with a falcon. It's just like like a comic way of course. What's up, academics? 
This episode is sponsored by PodPage. Build a beautiful podcast website in five minutes. Automatically create a beautiful listener-friendly podcast site from your RSS feed. So you can import your RSS feed into this site and it automatically generates everything for you. Puts in your artwork, puts in your show notes, puts in all those links, your guest info, everything right there. You get to customize the design to create a professional look that you'll be proud of in a few clicks. You don't have to have a coding background. You don't have to have technical knowledge. This is all plug and play. Choose the design you like, fit and tailored to your brand, the right colors, the right layout. So many different things to choose from. The templates are endless. So get out there, go to the tragedyacademy.com, click on the sponsors tab and help support the show by clicking the pod page link and purchasing your new site today. And remember academics, be cool and keep learning.